were studying the book of Galatia, uh, Galatians, uh, Paul's letter to the churches that were dispersed throughout uh, that portion of Turkey, far from other Christian influences. He wrote them letters of concern. And uh, I'm privileged to uh, be the teaching pastor here today. My name is Steve Hauer. It's kind of interesting. I've been the senior pastor here for uh, more than two decades. And uh, just uh, a week or so ago, we voted to give that position to a, a new, uh, young, and extremely spiritually gifted young man called uh, Dion Garrett. And that was an, that was an awesome evening for me uh, to see that happen. And it was emotional to me, too. Not so much... Uh, because um, that torch has been passed. Uh, Pastor Garrett has been supportive of me for the last six and a half years. And uh, while we raise up and bring up an, another Christian pastor leader here, I said, let me support you in that process. Because I knew if something happened to me, he was beside me. And uh, I'll be alongside him as well uh, for the next few years and, until we're ready to make that next move. I was in the lobby last week after worship. I was here worshiping. And pastor Garrett was teaching. And uh, a good friend of mine came up and, and said, wow, so what do I call you now? I said, oh, Steve works, you know, that's, uh, that's okay. And I said, or you can call me Pastor Howard. And, in fact, I don't ever remember you calling me Senior Pastor Howard. So <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I'm sure that was a bit awkward for him, but uh, he, he meant well. And uh, I, I'm just thrilled to be a part of this ministry. And as I saw that transition, I was just amazed at what God has, has done you know, uh, through the likes of me. And, and uh, that was what's so amazing, uh, the history that we have shared here for the last 25, 26, 7 years. I want to review what we've done with uh, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, or Galatians as it's sometimes called. Uh, there are six chapters, and here's the themes for every week. If you want to go back, they are still available in archive uh, on, our, uh, on our website. There are also Bible studies uh, available for each of these weeks. Chapter 1, chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, all of the book of Galatia. First, dear picture perfect, uh, Paul's own testimony saying who he was and how God changed his life and, and uh, changed him forever. That's an important chapter to me because I remember uh, in a, I was serving as a pastor in Texas and I was reading Galatians 1 verse 10 and it said in that chapter, uh, Paul wrote, Am I trying to please men? Or am I trying to please God? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of the Lord Most High. And that, that, was, a, that was a defining moment for me. That scripture hit me in a different way. And I said, you know, I don't care whether pastors of other churches like what I'm doing. I don't care whether my district president likes what I'm doing. I don't care about my political future in this denomination. You know, I'm, I'm just going to please God the best I can in the ministry that he has given me. And... Uh, and, and that was a defining moment for me. Dear Haters was week two. Pastor Garrett preached that. I remember him saying, you know, if you don't have a relationship with anybody, uh, with somebody, it, it's really hard for you to offer them critical advice. Uh, in fact, he gave us pastoral permission to give them a hand gesture if they came up and used the Bible to club us with it uh, because that's not what the Bible's intended. And we all felt a little awkward that he had said that. And he goes, what are you thinking? I just meant bye. That's what he meant. So. It's kind of an interesting uh, way in which he taught. Dear Well-Intended was about people who mistake piety, you know, certain Christian behaviors, certain Christian dress for being Christian. That's not very authentic. So we talked about well-intentioned people. Dear Family Man, I remember preaching that where the Bible says we're all adopted into the family of God. And we talked about adoption and, and why God uses that as a metaphor and how important it is to be a part of a family and what that means. Then Up and Comer was last week, Pastor Garrett again. 
talking about what drives you, what motivates you uh, in life. And today we're talking about dear fallen, those who have fallen uh, or are on a path leading away from God or are not in a relationship with God. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, you probably know by now I'm, I'm not a big fan of the uh, uh, denominational attitudes that sometimes divide Christians. Uh, I do believe truth matters. Uh, I believe that we should advocate for every article of faith that is taught in the Bible. I don't think that that uh, is unimportant. I think it's very important. I believe in the Reformation doctrines uh, that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And we have this teaching, sola fide, by faith alone, sola gratiae, by grace alone, sola scriptura, by scripture alone. That's all very, very important to me. But it seems like denominationalism tends to divide us. We say, well, they're this and we're that, and instead of uniting us in the common belief in Jesus Christ. I've often said here that if there is another church, I don't care what color, what stripe, how they dress, what songs they sing, uh, where they worship. If they preach Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm a fan. People are being saved there. Amen? Amen. That's what it should be about. And we should... We should be encouraging. That doesn't mean you lay down your truth. You can still have those fun arguments and discussions with family members who are a part of a different organization. But, uh, man, we just got to encourage people who are out there, uh, you know, sharing the love of God as shown us in Christ Jesus. And uh, as a result, I've not been involved much in denominational politics. You know, in fact, Dion says it, it's like... Uh, uh, kryptonite for me, you know, I just, just stay away from it. And, and, and yet, uh, our national denomination, the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, is 6,000 churches strong across the country. There are 300 of them in the Missouri district, and we're a part of that organization. We do some things together that no one church can do by itself. We train pastors, you know, we send missionaries, you know, so, so we join with them in important things. Uh, and I'm all about sharing and helping uh, with greater strength. That's, that's cool. Uh, we're a part of the district of the state of Missouri, and, and I have grown to appreciate the man who was elected. In fact, today, tonight, in Springfield, Missouri, they are meeting, and tomorrow morning they're going to elect a new man to be our district president who oversees the spiritual care of the churches in the state of Missouri. Uh, Dr. Murley has been that guy for the last decade or so, and, and uh, I've come to love Dr. Murley. His picture's on the paper here, or on the screen behind me, and uh, he was speaking at our circuit conference, which is a group of 12 churches in this area that get together for pastoral encouragement and, and study. And, and so we meet once a month. And, and I, I don't often go. They're a bit frustrating for me sometimes. But I, I went in honor of Dr. Murley to thank him for his service. And uh, I was not disappointed in Dr. Murley. Uh, he came to us and, and he sat with the pastors in this area. And he said, let me just share with you a letter that I received from a pastor in our state. Uh, and he had just been at a Bible study, early morning Bible study, I go to one as well, with some members of his congregation. And as he was paying the bill, the waiter said to the pastor, he said, I overheard what your friends were talking about. And they're right. They're exactly right. And the pastor was a bit embarrassed because uh, in that Bible study that morning, the men who met with him were talking about how younger people uh, are uh, negative about the church. And how very few of them actually go to church. The waiter wanted to say they're right. I wouldn't go to your church. I don't really think much about churches. The people there tend to be judgmental and they don't care too much 
about those who are in need. He said, in fact, none of the staff here uh, really likes to work on Sunday because church people roll in here. And he says, uh, uh, they always treat us like we're their hired servants. Uh, they don't treat us with much respect. He said, and guess what, Pastor? They talk about your church. They're not happy with you either. And, and he said they're poor tippers. And they're poor tippers as well. So, so why is that? Why, why has the church become that in our culture? I, I think a lot of people think of the church as uh, people who must hold the moral high ground for our nation. You know, that we are the spokesman for what is morally right or what is morally wrong. That's how people see our churches. Not as dispensers of God's love, as revealed most clearly in the offering of his son, Jesus Christ, to save everyone. All day long, holding out his hand to the most rejected and despised people in the culture. I don't think they see that in our churches. Why is it that we've lost our voice? To those who need us most. Those who are far from God. And by the way, sometimes I'm one of those guys that have fallen and is far from God. And I need that too. Not because I'm superior to others. But because I'm just as needy of God's grace and love and forgiveness as the next man. Why is it that churches see us so differently? Well, the Apostle Paul isn't speaking about churches per se. He's speaking about individuals. It's a very personal message that he has for you and for me about, you know, how to call out for help if we've fallen or if we're on a path leading away from God or how even more importantly, those of you who are spiritual, how you can restore, how you can gain your voice, find your voice to help those who are far from God. Let's read it from Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. I'm going to come back and spend some time with the first six verses. So it begins this way. Uh, Brothers and sisters... If anyone is caught up in sin or finds themselves far from God or alienated from God, you who live by the Spirit. And remember last week Pastor Garrett talked about the fruit of the Spirit being uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, goodness, and self-control. The Spirit of, uh, of the Holy Spirit when he abides in us. Those of you who have those attitudes should restore that person. And how? Gently. Not in their face. Not accusatory. Not putting them down. And watch out for yourself so that you aren't also tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, find your voice. This way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You'll be what God wants you to be. But if you think you're something, you know, superior, when you're not, you're only deceiving yourself. Each one should test your own actions, you know. Sit in judgment of yourself before you judge others. Then you can uh, own who you are, be proud of who you are, uh, without comparing yourself to someone else, puffing yourself up by comparison. For each one should carry their own burden, load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. You know, be encouraging of the church. Jeff just spoke about that. Do not be deceived. God is not fooled. He's not mocked. You know, you do harvest what you sow. There is consequence for behavior. So God is concerned about that. Whoever sows to their, please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, if you do what God wants, then from the Spirit you're going to receive an eternal reward. 
Let us not become weary in doing good. You know, don't grow tired of it. You know, there's a payoff for doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of faith or the family of belief. You know, so encourage other Christians. And all the more, the Bible says, as you see that day drawing near. Well, the first point I want to make is that uh, Christians don't need to strategize to locate the falling and the hurting. We don't need a strategy. I was at a conference once, and, and um, one of the conference teachers was, was uh, offering um, a style of ministry that you could make visits, cold calls on, on strangers and share the gospel and how you could go about doing that. And I thought, really, is that necessary, that we have to figure out how we can go and, and talk to strangers about faith? I, I think you should always be prepared to give an answer for the faith that you have. But I think all of us know somebody's hurting. All of us know somebody who's fallen down. They're all around us. Those who despair, those who are lonely, those who are hurting, those who are fearful. They're in your family. They're sitting in the pew next to you today. You know, they're in your kid's school. If you're paying attention, you'll hear conversations as you sit on the bleachers at your kid's game. And, and you'll hear some of the hurts and some of the pains and some of the struggles that people are having. Uh, yesterday morning, Carol wanted to have a garage sale. I offered her $100 not to have a garage sale. <laughs> but uh, she insisted. You know, she likes to put, you know, good things back into the hands of others, and she gives most of it away in the end. But uh, so, so she had it, and, and uh, you know, I, I thought, man, this is a waste of my Saturday. I could be out golfing or doing something important, you know. And, and, but I had a job to do, and, and it was to kind of watch things and, you know, help people. And my son was there and helped them carry things out to their car if they needed to. And, and uh, what, what I mostly noticed was how many neighbors we met. You know, and we've been in that neighborhood only for about a year, and, and now we know people up and down the street. I mean, by the end of the day, people were going by and honking their horn, waving at us. So the payoff was not so much in, you know, the money that we made or even putting good things back in circulation. It was getting to meet people. And the kids came over. Kids from your neighborhood walk over, and she got to know all these kids, and we got to know them. And, and it was kind of fun, you know, to give them things that they couldn't afford and they wanted to buy things for the daddy because Father's Day is coming up. So I got rid of some of my really ugly ties. And they're <laughs> going to smile to see their daddy wear it, you know, in the next few days. But, you know, there are people all around us. If you just pay attention and, and you get to know these people and you get to hear their stories, if you just pay attention, the relationships are there. You know, Christians are so busy advocating for the truth. It's like we treat every issue as though it's a nail. And if you treat every issue as though it's a nail, all you need is a hammer. And you just beat the daylights out of it. You know, when did the church change? When did we become the moral keeper of what's right and wrong for the nation? Instead of a dispenser of God's love, God's advice, and God's concern. I'm not saying truth doesn't matter. It matters. Because there's consequence for bad behavior. And we don't want our children, we don't want our neighbors, we don't want our friends pursuing self-destruction. But I think what God would have us do is instead of advocating so much for the truth, he would have us advocate for people who are far from God's truth. You know, there are moms sitting in our pew today, you know, whose teenage daughter or son slammed the door and told them how much they hate them. There are fathers that you know who are out of work, who, 
who feel the burden and the despair of providing for their family and don't know what they're going to do. There are retired folks that I've met and had discussions with who are concerned about their kids who no longer go to church and their grandkids haven't been baptized, and what can they do about that? There's a wife or a husband who recently had a conversation with their spouse who said, I'm not sure I love you anymore. There are those who are coming to terms with a new physical reality that they're never going to be as strong as they once were, or the prognosis is even worse than that. We have children, we know of children who have been bullied in school. You don't have to go far to find the fallen, the hurting, and the despairing, you know, or maybe a friend told them that uh, no one in class likes you. The overwhelmed caregiver, the chronically depressed. You know, Pastor Garrett talked about how we should handle haters, those who use the Bible as a club against us, you know, and I think that's right. We need to say that's not what the Bible's for, brother. The Bible's to be helpful and encouraging. Truth matters, but not to beat people down with, but to help and lift up people. And that's what God wants. Uh, today I want to address the opposite. I want to provide pastoral encouragement that you would step up and step into those who are far from God, those who have fallen, those who need his help. In chapter 5, this is how we should be, the fruit of the Spirit. And forbearance is better translated, I think, in our language. We don't use forbearance. Don't, you know, forbear me this. I think we talk about patience more. Uh, I used to say that I'm not a patient person, and, and on the basis of the scripture, I would say, if God wanted me to be patient, I'd have patience by now. He'd given it to me, but he's withheld it, so it's his fault. And, uh, but in fact, this is not a gift of the Spirit. This is a fruit of the Spirit. You know, a tree produces its fruit naturally, so what it's really saying to me is if I'm impatient, I'm just spiritually immature. You know, my fruit has not ripened the way it should. The fruit of the Spirit, those who are mature in faith, these are the qualities that identify you, not judgmental, not critical, not superior, you know, uh, not a keeper of the moral high ground. This is the spiritually mature. They love, they show joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love the way it ends, that passage from Galatians 5. It says, against such as these, there is no law. In other words, there's no limitation. God hasn't said you can do this too much. You can't love too much. You can't be too patient. You can't be too self-controlled. You know, these are qualities that are helpful. This is how Christians should be identified. So first of all, you don't really need a strategy to find people who need you. They're in your family. They're all around you. And they're in your workplace. Secondly... We who are spiritual have an important job to do. In Galatians 6, the first two verses, it says, You who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch out for yourself. Carry each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of God. You know, I thought I should find a, an example of Jesus uh, when he did this kind of behavior and use that in my sermon today. And as the more I thought about it, I thought, how silly is that? There is no one example of Jesus doing this. Everything Jesus did is this. You know, all the stories of Jesus. You know, the blind man, you know, that he extended uh, God's love to, or Lazarus raised from the dead, or, or Matthew when he sat with tax collectors and sinners, and, and he was accused of doing that badly, or a leper. You know, everybody said, well, he's leprous because God is judging him. Don't go over there and extend concern to him. And, you know, there's... there's sin and disease in the world because it's a fallen world. It's not something God does. It's something we brought into our own world. Or, or the woman who is at the well who had been married five times and the man she's living with now is not her husband. 
Jesus, story after story after story, extended God's love and concern. I love the story of the woman by the well. In fact, I think in the Caitlyn Jenner thing, you know, or, or a story like that, I think this is a woman by the well moment. You know, Jesus didn't excuse that woman. You know, her life was wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't right. And yet he didn't lead with that. He said, hey, how about a drink of water? She said, why should I get you a drink, you know? Don't you know that I'm not an acceptable person? And, and Jesus began a conversation with her and eventually got around to uh, the fact that her life was a bit out of order. But only after she realized that he had care and concern for her as a person. If you identify with people who are fallen, if you identify with sinners, if you become this kind of person, this kind of Christian, and I'm not talking about us as a church, I'm talking about you as a person. Uh, other Christians will criticize you and they'll say, you're enabling bad behavior. You know, uh, you should condemn and speak against that. Well, it's okay to hold an opinion and, and, and hold the truth of God uh, in your heart. And, and uh, when asked, it's okay to share that. But to those who are trapped, we need to extend a hand of grace and a hand of love and a hand of compassion. One of my favorite uh, preachers historically has been Charles Spurgeon, who was a pastor in the 1800s in England. Uh, and he preached a message of God's love and concern for all people regardless of their standing in society. And he became so popular, no church could hold him. And so he began to preach in the Savas Center of London, the Metropolitan Hall. In fact, you had to get a ticket. They were free, but you had to get a ticket just to go and hear him speak. And the church condemned him for not honoring their traditions and for encouraging bad behavior by showing love and grace and acceptance of sinful people, prostitutes, you know, drug dealers, you know, alcoholics, all the kinds of people that he ministered to. And so they actually put him out of the church because he was too popular with the common person. And so they censured him and they removed him from good standing. And uh, he preached a message about that and I, I've kept a copy of it. He said, brethren, we must be willing to bear ridicule for the name of Christ. Even the especially envenomed ridicule which the cultured you know, the good church-going people are apt to place on us. We must be willing to be thought fools for Jesus' sake. And then he finished by saying this. It is today as it was in the Reformers' day. You know, if you stand up against the church, they're going to whack you. Decision is needed. Here is the day for the man. Where is the man for the day? We who have had the gospel, God's love through Jesus Christ, passed down to us by martyrs' hands, dare not trifle with it, nor sit by while it is denied by traitors who begin to teach that the church is a certain form of behavior, a code of tradition, uh, and pretend to love it, which isn't the gospel at all, but inwardly abhor every line of it. When I think of how others have suffered for this faith, a little scorn, a little unkindness, a little judgmentalness by others seems a mere trifle not worthy of mention. Pretty strong words, you know, from a man who bore some brunt of criticism for being too kind and too gracious with the gospel as though that is possible. Let me just give some cautions as closing here uh, based on what Paul has to say. Uh, first of all, he says uh, we should check ourselves. Uh, in verse 3 he says, if anyone thinks he is something, when you are nothing, you deceive yourself. You know, if, if you think you're a superior Christian and, and you have something to offer, check yourself. 
You know, I am saved by grace. No different than the worst sinner. They need God's love and acceptance and forgiveness. I need God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Did I mention that Carol had a garage sale the other day? And uh, I said as the garage sale was winding down, I said, anything else I can do for you, babe? And she said, you could go get me a soda. And, and so uh, I was going to go and get her one from the refrigerator, but she wanted me to go get one from McDonald's. And so, uh, so I, went, I got in my truck and went down there. And uh, I mentioned the difficulty I have with patients. And uh, when you come to McDonald's, they have two lines now, you notice? And you got to choose right or left. I always get in the wrong line. And, and, and I got in this line because it was fairly short. This lady was having a debate with the person on the other end of the microphone. I wanted a soda, one soda. I watched four cars go by. People ordering meals for their families go by. While this lady had this conversation, God only knows what she was doing. And I, I just smiled. I thought, God is messing with me, you know. He's reminding me that, Steve, you still have rough edges. You know, you still have issues. And it kind of made me smile to think that God does that, you know. If, uh, it, you need to check yourself. And I think there's two points. Uh, first of all, if you think that you're such a good Christian, you are not going to be able to behave and maintain that standard. Uh, it's a standard you can't maintain because God's going to remind you that you are still a sinner, Stephen. And you still have issues. And I'm still working on you, so don't be pointing the finger at anybody else. And secondly, when you behave that way and you think you're superior, it's a standard that you, you lose the ability to be amazed at God. You know, I, I stand amazed at him. I think, wow, and you still use me? You know, you, you still love me? And, and I can sing amazing grace from the heart because I know it's true. It's not amazing grace for you sinners. It's amazing grace for this sinner. Such a huge difference, isn't there, when you sing that song personally? So first of all, check yourself. Don't be arrogant and believe that, you know, you are above those that you are sharing the gospel with. You need the gospel yourself. Secondly, acceptance does not mean acquiescence. We should maintain the truth. I'm not, not saying uh, the truth doesn't matter. It does matter because there's consequence for bad behavior. There's also consequence for good behavior. So it matters. He said, let each one look after yourself, lest you be tempted. You know, in, in, in your sharing compassion and concern for people who are far from God, you don't have to identify them with them so much that you forsake or compromise your belief. What good are you to them then? So maintain the truth. Don't compromise the truth, but speak the truth in love. I had a professor at the seminary. You know, I said, gentlemen, your job is to teach the truth in love. And when in doubt, sin on the side of love. I thought, wow, that's a guy I still remember. God's love is not contingent. But behavior still matters. He doesn't love me because I do right. He doesn't love me less when I do wrong. He'll love me till the day I die. He's always on my side. He's always caring. Even in his discipline of me, and even in his frustration of me, it's to turn me away from that back to him. But behavior still matters. The, the truth of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, are not given to see whether you measure up to God. It's because when you abide by the instructor's manual, uh, your life tends to work better. So truth matters. Acceptance does not mean acquiescence. We don't have to deny the truth in order to be gracious and accept people who are far from the truth. Finally then, Christianity is not a competitive sport. It's, it's really not. And if he makes that so clear in verses 4 and 5. He says, you should test your own actions. Uh, he said, uh, 
uh, not comparing yourselves to anyone else. You know, I'm, I'm not better than you. I'm not worse than you. I live in grace. Uh, each one should, you know, be responsible for their own life. Don't feel better or worse about yourself based on somebody else. God doesn't look at you that way. Reminds me of that Peter and John walking on the beach after the resurrection when Jesus was talking about Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And he kept asking him and, and he said, you know, I love you. And he said, well, then feed my sheep. And Peter got a little uh, self-conscious that Jesus was talking to him so much. He goes, well, what about John? And Jesus said, forget about John. I'm talking about you, Peter. I'm just talking about you. And so I, I think I need to remember that. And, you know, I, I shouldn't say, well, well, what about my wife? You know, talk to her a little bit, would you, Jesus? You know, he says, no, Steve, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you, <laughs> you know. It's, you know, it's not a competitive sport. You know, the Lord cares about you. Let me just have a parting word with you from verses 9 and 10. There is a payoff in this. And, and you shouldn't, this shouldn't be your motive for your behavior. But it's true that there is a reward, you know, for being this kind of person, letting the fruit of the Spirit uh, bubble up in your life. Don't become weary in doing good. It, it, it is a challenge, but it's a challenge worth doing. It makes your life rich. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't wimp out, you know, if you don't give up, if you continue to bear, you know, the gospel out there. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially encouraging each other, you know, as family of believers, you know, encouraging each other to be this, to be this church. And I, I just want to say, it, don't, don't feel I'm too critical of you. I think you're getting it. I think our congregation gets it. And I see you doing this with your friends and your family. You're, you're asking questions like, how can I love them? How can I help them? How can I pray for them? Or would you pray with me for them? And so I'm seeing this in you. I'm not trying to be critical of you. I'm trying to be encouraging that you do this even all the more as you see the end drawing near. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for reminding us that we too are uh, saved by grace. We're just beggars, you know, uh, needing your love. And, and as long as we remember that, then we can easily extend your love to others. Help us also see in your example you know, how, how you shared your love and compassion with people the church wouldn't even talk to. And you bore criticism for it. Help us to be like that. And thus fulfill, you know, the voice that you had in life. Fulfill the law of Christ, as Paul says. Lord, help us to be that person. Help us to be that church. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a song called Glory.